G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RBC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RBC podcast, and we don't ask for much in return. We're incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcasts or Acast and leave us a review. <clears throat> Obviously, a five-star review would be great, but I'd appreciate a couple of moments of your time to be able to do that. So joining Brian and myself today in our virtual studio is Associate Professor Roseanne Jepson, one of our internal medicine, uh, part of our internal medicine team here at the uh, at the Royal Vet College. When I say here, we're probably not actually in the Royal Vet College, but but anyway, here at the Royal Vet College. Um, so thank you, Roseanne, for joining us. Hi, Dom. Yes, thanks very much for the invitation. And 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 although we could talk about many things, and we and we did before we started recording this, um, what we uh, what we wanted to talk about uh, in, in this uh, podcast is about antimicrobial awareness week. So, um, so Brezhan, could I could I ask when is antimicrobial awareness week predominantly? When when is that week, and and also um, what 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 is it about? So, antimicrobial awareness week um, is something that's been running actually for several years now, and it's a worldwide initiative. Um, organised through the World Health Organisation. Um, this year it's running from the 18th to the 24th of November, so a couple of weeks' time. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to really take stock and to just think about antimicrobial use, um, try to raise awareness about how we're using antibiotics. And this year it's particularly important because they're really focusing on having a, a One Health approach. So um, whilst perhaps previously there's been, um, you know, a, a well-recognised focus on the use of antibiotics and concerns relating to antimicrobial resistance, obviously in humans, we have to recognise that what we do as veterinary surgeons as well is also very important. Um, and that includes, obviously, food animal health. Um, but from our perspective, you know, also the antibiotics and antimicrobial stewardship related relating to um, companion animals, so horses and then, um, you know, within uh, my remit specifically, cats and dogs. Um, yeah. So, so thank you. Thank you for that. Then, and so I suppose with, with regard to that, should we touch on the like antimicrobial stewardship? So, so what are we doing regarding uh, regarding that um, so in, the, in the Queen Mother Hospital, so the referral hospital of the, of the RVC? Well, we've for a number of years we've had um, several initiatives that have been um, ongoing. So we um, try to um, have a, a team of people who are overseeing antimicrobial stewardship um, within the hospital, um, and we've developed a, a tier-based system to try and help um, vets who are working in our hospital um, to think carefully about the types of antibiotics that they're prescribing. Um, and to try and make sure that some of what we might consider to be critical or preserved antibiotics um, are being reserved for um, situations where they really need to be used. So we actually have a three-tiered approach. Um, so we have sort of uh, first-line antibiotics. We have a second tier where we're very much trying to encourage those antibiotics to only be used where we've got good information about um, the bacterial organism and the susceptibility profile. And then we have um, a group of what we call our um, tier three antibiotic agents, which are really very much preserved. And in fact, um, within um, the Queen Mother Hospital, um, we require sign 
spin-off and um, a sort of team discussion approach to be able to use those critical antibiotics. Um, so our antimicrobial stewardship group um, encompasses people from all the different disciplines in the hospital. So we have medics, we have surgeons, we have neurologists. Um, we also have, very importantly, um, a veterinary um, pharmacologist um, who helps to discuss with us um, the um, way those drugs are being metabolized and the likely impacts of other disease conditions um, might be having. And we also, um, very importantly, have our clinical veterinary microbiologist who um, works as part of that group as well. And they bring huge insight to us in terms of um, the bugs that we're potentially identifying in patients um, and can bring a, that very important microbiological aspect um, to sort of marry together with the clinical input that we're able to give. So that's the sort of structure that we have in, in the hospital. Um, and then we have some um, strategies um, that we're participating in more specifically, actually, in terms of um, antimicrobial awareness week as well. So you could have, you could have just asked with the, with the tiered system, like obviously a part of the hospital, not necessarily, obviously, as, as, as well. But it seems to be the, the uptake for this has, has been pretty well received would that would that be fair to say so are they are they some um our clinicians might find an additional step that they don't necessarily need to do in their day it seems i suppose with the changeover of of staff over over time this is just what we do and, and what happens and i suppose is that your experience with regard to that and and how do um clinicians take asking i suppose essentially for permission to use a certain level of tiered antibiotics or does it make them feel um, justified more in the decision to use that should they be required to yeah no that's a that's a really good point and i think it's um it's a question that we have to deal with, you know, wherever you're working, whatever type of practice you're working in, when you're going out to a team and you're saying, you know, are there ways that we could be better in terms of our antimicrobial prescribing? What you need is whole team engagement. Um, so going back many years before we um, started implementing this system, we went out to consultation across our hospital um, and we gathered opinions on what people would think and would they feel restricted if um, this was a, a process that we put in place. Um, we made sure that we included all of our different disciplines. So the equivalent in first opinion would be making sure that everybody's um, opinion was heard in terms of how we were considering categorizing those antibiotics. Um, and we talked to people specifically perhaps about um, different uses of antibiotics um, within different services. So recognising, for example, the um, topical use in um, dermatology patients or in ophthalmology patients, for example. And that, that initial buy-in, I think, is what's really important when you're trying to make these changes and also helping people to understand um, what the potential um, benefits are going to be. Um, and so a secondary sort of part of having introduced a change in any system is going to be thinking about um, giving people feedback on how it's 
working and how it's operating um, and doing some level of audit um, in terms of the changes that you've made, gathering feedback on how systems perhaps are not working as well as they might. Um, and we've faced those challenges um, along the way. So um, we've um, actually transitioned from initially a paper-based system to an electronic prescribing system. Um, and so we've had to work with people to make sure that the data that we're trying to collect is um, sufficient for us to be able to audit, but not too onerous. Um, and when we were restricting the use of the critical antibiotics, we needed to still make sure that that was a very functional system for the people in the hospital. So um, we need for people to be able to get in contact with us and we need to be able to make rapid decisions. And so having um, perhaps a, a slightly larger hospital, maybe that's a little bit easier for us um, because we can have a larger team of people. But I think ultimately, actually, what people have really appreciated um, is the opportunity for discussion. Um, because when we start to face these tip of the iceberg cases that unfortunately we do see, which have um, very high levels of antimicrobial resistance, um, it's about making sure that we've explored not only the choice of antibiotics, but actually um, thinking perhaps more broadly about those cases and, you know, are we likely to achieve a successful outcome for that patient? Are there other aspects of disease management that we need to think about? And that's where having a real team approach um, has been hugely beneficial. And I guess it's it's worth saying that we've not um, we've not removed clinician autonomy. What we've created, I hope, is this discussive environment. So where clinicians from any service can um, get in contact with the antimicrobial stewardship team, um, typically by email, um, we gather the case information and we offer um, an opportunity to um, chat with those individuals um, and to discuss with all of the clinical information available um, how best to go move forward managing those cases. And the clinical microbiologists may um, give us great input at this point because perhaps there are um, antimicrobial agents that we can consider that we hadn't done um, as part of our standard culture and sensitivity profiles. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's really about um, engagement. And I would say now that it's I, well, I think it's very well accepted in the hospital. Maybe you can um, tell me the perspective from your team. No, no, I, I think it's it is very well um, expected, and I, and, I, and I completely agree with the I, with your um, point that people actually want to have a, a discussion about when when things get a bit tricky. As, as you said, there's no restrictions on the um, the initial antibiotic, and maybe as long as you've got. Culture results for the for using a secondary um, or, or a separate agent, a different agent, I should say. But yeah, when when things get a bit more questionable, um, I think having the ability to have conversation with um, with you, yourself and people in in that group, as well as a, the microbiologist, definitely is worthwhile to have a have a plan really going forward. Um, particularly when I think we we're, we're probably not as in Engage with um, microbiologists as as our human counterparts have been for um, many decades. So, so I think having that integration is is quite important. And and also, I suppose for people who are not in the UK, you know, we we 
we actually are quite fortunate in the UK that we, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, Roseanne, that we don't actually have any restrictions on necessarily what antibiotics that we can use if we can get hold of them. And I think that's probably the same in quite a few countries um, for, for um, companion animals. This is, whereas, um, whereas I know that some countries have just taken that decision away from the veterinary, um, veterinary surgeons completely. And, and so I suppose we've got to uh, own up to our responsibility with with regard to to that. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, there are some countries where there are um, uh, sort of more legal based restrictions on what can and cannot be used. Um, and whilst we don't have those restrictions, that does, as you say, very much mean that as veterinary surgeons, we need to take that responsibility um, and we need to think very carefully um, about how we're choosing our antimicrobial agents. So it's, you know, things like um, only using antibiotics when um, we know that we definitely have a bacterial infection that we need to treat um, and thinking very carefully about using the narrowest spectrum of antibiotic that we can um, for that particular infection and patient, thinking about the body system that we're trying to actually target, uh, the dose of drug that we're going to use, the frequency and Importantly, at the moment, you know, um, there's a, a lot of work going on into duration of antibiotic therapy and many of the conditions that we might more commonly treat, you know, the, the total duration of antibiotics when we are appropriately using them is becoming shorter and shorter and shorter in veterinary medicine as we follow our medical counterparts and recognise that some of the um, older recommendations are not necessary and um, that prolonged courses of antibiotics are massively contributing to concerns in relation to antimicrobial resistance. It's it's very difficult. We had um, Simon on the podcast talking about not not using antibiotics for um, aspiration pneumonitis, and and as a patient population, probably brachycephalics may be overrepresented at the moment due to their their, their numbers in. Um, um, of of getting aspiration pneumonia, and I suppose anything that reduces those you know dogs from having antibiotics until they actually need it would be would be would be quite good and and a, a great point about having to decrease the duration of antibiotics and and I think that the literature is still coming along, isn't it? There's not there's not hard and fast rules at the moment, but I think people are at least a bit more aware that maybe they're trending away from the radiographic resolution of a pneumonia if you like and and trying to base it on the clinical picture of the of the animal in 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 question rather than you know antibiotics for the best part of a quarter of a year or something like that yeah totally actually um yeah simon was showing me some of that data the other day and um you know it's it's only by um, starting to actually put that clinical data together that we're going to be able to hopefully in the future build more robust um guidelines you know we're um, oftentimes with disease conditions at the moment where we may want to use antibiotics we're um sort of in this um in between area where we've got sort of historical recommendations that are in the veterinary literature and then we perhaps look towards guidance from um, data from human medicine um, and what we're really needing are the, the veterinary equivalent studies that help to demonstrate that we can move to those um, shorter courses of antibiotics. So yeah, the work that um, uh, Simon Cook is doing is really great in that area in relation to, um, as you say, the acute pneumonitis patients. So, so could I ask you, Roseanne, at the, at the moment with your patients, 
when when there is a um, potentially a, a not necessarily a hard and fast rule or, or lack of evidence in the literature about when to sort of stop antibiotics. Are, are you basing it mainly on the clinical picture or the clinical signs while the patient came in, or any sort of um, uh, I, I suppose blood markers or, or biochemical markers? I think we're always using a combination of those things. So it's, it's going to depend on the condition that we're um, we're investigating. My area of personal interest obviously relates to the, the urinary tract. Um, and in relation to um, uncomplicated urinary tract infections, then there's um, a big driver towards using much shorter courses of antibiotics than we would historically. So um, typically, you know, we're talking about three to five days of antibiotics these days for, um, for example, a, a, a maybe a female dog that has an uncomplicated bacterial cystitis. Um, and for those dogs, I guess what's interesting is what we would be recommending that you monitor now is clinical resolution. Um, so not necessarily needing to repeat urine cultures or urine samples in those dogs where it's, you know, um, first time presentation, no complicating factors. It's OK, this dog's we've looked at a urine, we've seen bacteria present. Maybe we've been able to get a culture, but sometimes maybe we haven't in first opinion practice. But we're going to use a first line. Um, antibiotic agent we're going to give between three to five days and we're going to see if that dog clinically improves and if it does then that's that is sufficient we stop um, and we move on the situation does become more challenging perhaps with some of the cases that we see at a referral level where there can be underlying disease processes that are contributing to those urinary tract infections um, and at that point we obviously need to investigate and we need to understand um, but there's a lot of interesting data coming out now about um, for example um, whether if you have dogs or cats with um, infections that seem to be recurring, particularly if they have no clinical signs, that actually we should be referring to those as subclinical bacteria, not actually urinary tract infections. Um, and uh, these days, we don't re recommend giving any treatment if the patient is subclinical. Um, so, so these are the sort of relatively big shifts, actually, that are occurring in veterinary medicine. That, that's um, that's great. Thanks, thanks for clarifying a, about that. And and with the um, antimicrobial awareness week, so you mentioned some of the some of the focus, but but also I believe there's an antibiotic amnesty this this month. Could you explain what that? what that means, please? Yeah, absolutely. So as part of um, Antimicrobial Awareness Week, actually for the whole month of November, there is um, a, a One Health initiative um, looking to try and encourage owners who may have um, leftover antibiotics at home that have been prescribed for their pet um, to bring those back to their veterinary practice um, and so that we can essentially dispose of those antibiotics. Um, in an appropriate way. And we might not think about this, but one of the ways that antibiotics can reach bacteria in the environment and potentially generate resistance is through inappropriate disposal of unused antibiotics. So um, perhaps owners who've got a few antibiotics that have been left behind that either put those into the waste or perhaps flush them down the toilet, for example. These are not ideal routes for getting rid of these antibiotics because there's a potential for those drugs to leach into the environment. And so um, the antibiotic amnesty 
um, as part of the Antimicrobial Awareness Week and being um, sort of facilitated by the RCVS Knowledge. Um, so that's the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons Knowledge um, uh, is offering the opportunity for clients to bring those um, antibiotics into veterinary practices to be disposed of. And at the QMH, we're participating in this scheme. So we will be contacting any clients that are due to see us during the month of November. Um, and if they have leftover antibiotics, we won't be asking any questions. We are just very happy to receive them. And our pharmacy team will be keeping a record um, of the antibiotics that are brought back into us. We'll be disposing of them appropriately. Um, and then we're going to be sharing that data back um, uh, on a national basis. So back to um, RCVS knowledge, and we're going to be um, uh, participating in trying to understand, um, you know, why those leftover antibiotics um, have been brought back into us. So in addition, there is uh, a survey which owners can access online. Um, it's uh, through a group called RUMA, so R-U-M-A, um, and the companion animal side of RUMA. And um, uh, essentially that questionnaire is looking to understand, you know, whether their pet got better, um, whether they um, had some that were just left over. And that's why they had, um, you know, they've still got these antibiotics around at home. Because um, I guess one thing that we're really keen that owners um, perhaps refrain from doing is having leftover antibiotics as well and just giving a few to their pets here and there because that really um, doesn't adhere to the um, uh, careful use of antibiotics that we'd really like to promote these days. I think that'd be really fascinating to find out how many antibiotics actually come come back uh, through us or, or um, I, obviously this is open to, to um, any anyone else but um, I think that would be yeah, maybe interesting, slightly scary. Yeah. Um, about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So I guess it's definitely worth saying it's 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 not just um, the RVC and the QMH that are participating. There are lots of uh, veterinary practices, first opinion, and other, other referral centres, I believe, that are participating in this um, antibiotic amnesty. Um, so it's it's a great initiative that's happening across the UK. And so is anything else like that? The, the focus during this week of antimicrobial awareness week. Well, I guess during. Um, um, the actual antimicrobial awareness um, week in, in our hospital, we're um, going to have um, and use it as an opportunity essentially to raise awareness across all of our teams. So trying to get everybody involved, um, we're going to be sort of sending out some what we perceive to be our successes in terms of our antimicrobial stewardship. We're going to be sending out reminders to um, all of the team. As you said, we're a big team. We have therefore you know, changeover of staff and actually keeping everybody up to date with um, policies and protocols can be quite challenging. So it's a really good opportunity for us to refresh in everybody's mind um, that they should be thinking about um, how they're prescribing antibiotics. Um, uh, and we're also going to use it as an opportunity to talk to our undergraduate students about using antibiotics more. Um, no, not using antibiotics more, but we're going to talk to them about the use of antibiotics um, and, you know, just try to make sure that the next generation of vets that we're that we're graduating um, have good antimicrobial stewardship sort of instilled in them right from the outset. Um, and we're going to be talking to our clients 
clients as well. So just reinforcing that opportunity that when whenever we do need to prescribe antibiotics, that we're very clear with the owners of the pets that we're seeing about the importance of how they're administering those antibiotics, um, when they need to get back in touch with us, um, whether there is follow up that needs to happen. Um, and then within the hospital itself, something that I'm keen to um, sort of focus on and to try and um, talk to people about is um, a concept that they quite often use um, in human hospitals, which is this sort of start smart and then focus on um, your continued use of antibiotics. So that's a system by which you not only think very carefully about your initial requirement to prescribe antibiotics, but you then also make a sort of dedicated purpose of thinking about whether you need to continue antibiotics um, and sort of, uh, you know, they have systems in place often in human hospitals where every 48 to 72 hours they will be, um, you know, taking stock and saying, hmm, this patient's still receiving antibiotics. Does it need to still be receiving antibiotics or could we be stopping at them at this point? Could we be making the change from, for example, intravenous antibiotics that are going directly into the blood um, and thinking about switching to oral antibiotics at that point in time? Um, and if we can stop them, then it's making that conscious decision to say, actually, you know, I'm going to stop because that's the right thing for the patient and it's the right thing for our antimicrobial stewardship as well. So there's so much that I think we can we can all do to improve um, the way we're using and preserving antibiotics for the future. Well, thank you very much for Rosanne. That was in incredibly comprehensive and a, a great idea for a number of different initiatives like within the hospital and, and, the, and the college as well, involving the students to try and get this message across. And I suppose it's, yeah, as, as we um, mentioned earlier, part of, part, of, you know, part of it is our responsibility to make sure that we can continue to use antibiotics in the, in the veterinary profession without heavy, heavy restrictions. Um, so, so, you know, it's a, a, a good time to bring this to the fore again and, and and try and you know decrease our I suppose resilience on on antimicrobials and ask ask these very important questions definitely um you know and whilst um whilst we're using antimicrobial awareness uh, week to obviously be a, a sort of stimulus for this you know it's something that we constantly strive to try and keep ticking over in the hospital the whole year round well, thank you very much for your time, Roseanne. Um, is there anything else you think you'd like to mention? Do you know, I think we've covered most of the things that we were wanting to talk through. I think, uh, you know, my one take home message would just be that everybody you know, thinks very carefully when they're using antibiotics. We're in a privileged position to be able to prescribe antibiotics when they're needed. Um, they are amazing drugs when they're used in the right time at the right place for the right patient and for the right indication. Um, and it's only by everybody doing their little bit um, to guard those antibiotic drugs um, that we're going to have those um, those drugs available to us all in the future as well. So um, look after your antibiotics. Well, we'll wrap it up there. And many thanks again for your time, Roseanne. And uh, thank everyone for, for listening. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device and that way you ain't going to have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Acast, that would be great. And don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends, or, or anybody. We're, we're happy for anyone to listen. We'll place some show notes and, and some of the um, uh, links to the questionnaire that Roseanne was talking about 
in our um in our sh- in our show notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice, it should be top of the tree. If you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet to Don Barfield. Until next time, bye bye.